Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I Can Do mindset. Life is what you put into it. Get the most you can. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. Well, 21 years ago, America changed forever. America was changed forever. Do you remember what happened 21 years ago? Some of us may not have been born then, but September 9th, 2001, if I'm remembering, no, September 11th, 2001, uh, was when uh, America was, was hit with terrorism and we were attacked. And I think most of us can remember exactly where we were on that day. I was driving to my storage facility when I was still working with Pfizer and I heard some things over the news trying to figure out what was happening. We are thankful for the men and women who serve uh, in this country and who serve to uh, protect us. And we appreciate that great service uh, from each and every one of them. And what happened uh, 21 years ago is something that we should never forget. Uh, we should never forget the events that happened and how so many lives uh, have been changed. You know, if you go back to that time, there were churches, I think, all across America that were packed those six, seven months after those events. Uh, and yet, sadly, as things got back to, to normal, so to speak, uh, I think church attendance began to go down. And, and that's something for us to think about. Suffering can cause us to obviously draw near to God, and yet we need to continue to draw near to God no matter what may be happening in our lives. He is indeed our refuge. Don't forget to remember what happened here in our country. Now, we say that, and I think that's important for us to think about and to say, and yet it doesn't just apply to, to 9-11. Think about this with this idea of your, of your walk with Christ. Don't forget to remember. There are so many things that we should never forget, that we need to make sure that we don't forget. Zach reminded us about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't forget to remember the great sacrifice that our Savior did and made on our behalf. Don't forget to remember that how we walk with our King matters. And don't forget to remember that every one of us in this audience can make a difference. I was reminded of this last week. I think sometimes we think that the big things are the, the way that we can really make differences in the lives of one another and even other people around us. But last week, and I, I, I called someone's attention over here, um, I had two friends from uh, Columbia, Missouri, and uh, Jason and Stacy, and they got back. They had visited Texas for the first time, and uh, he sent me a message, a text message yesterday. He sends me a text message every day, and he said, you know, I received some cards from some brothers and sisters there at West Main. And he said that those cards, and those cards came from those who were in the member care group. And one of the most important things I think we do here at West Main is are the member is the member care group. We have an opportunity to encourage one another. And if your name is on the list today, I would encourage you to go back to the member care group today. But he said, you know, those cards greatly lifted our spirits. And I just thought that's such a great thing. A card that maybe took a minute or two to write cheap stamp, and yet it encouraged a brother and a sister in another state. 
we, we think sometimes that the big things, we have to do something really big to make a difference. But the reality is, no, Jesus and the Father, they look at the little things. Remember in Mark chapter 12? We turn over there in Mark chapter 12. And I'm going somewhere with all of this. In Mark chapter 12, remember where Jesus, when he was observing those who were giving uh, in the temple. And I think this is interesting. In Mark chapter 12 and verse number 38, the Bible says, In his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. I find that interesting that Jesus was observing their giving. And does he not do the same today? Does he not look at our hearts as well? And many rich people were putting in large sums. That sounds great. Now watch this. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. That's a pretty big deal. With the small amount that this woman put in, and Jesus noticed that. We all can have a make a difference, and this woman certainly stood out in the eyes of Christ with the little amount that she gave, which was really a lot for her. There's another example of this and how small things go a long way and how our Savior observes these things as well. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, as he speaks about judgment, in Matthew chapter 25, I want you to notice what Jesus says here as he talks about the righteous and the unrighteous, beginning in verse number 34. Matthew 25 and verse number 34, notice what Jesus said here. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly, watch this, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now, to me, that is a life-changing passage where Jesus is saying the way that you treat it or the way that we treat one another, these brothers of his, he said that you are doing it to me. 
And like those cards sent to the brother, that was like a cup of cold water and a hot summer day. It was refreshing to him and to his wife. And these examples that Jesus is showing us, I love, and it's a very challenging thought, a thought-provoking thought that I want us to consider. That last part of verse number 40, he said, you did it to me. You did it to me. And that's the title of our lesson. You did it to me. Jesus is saying the way that you treat your brother and sister in Christ, it is like you are treating me. You are doing this to me as well. I see it. And this is how big of a deal it really is. And this is actually a very challenging text because he's talking about righteous people and unrighteous people, heaven and hell. And he's talking about deeds like these. And he said, when you do these things, you did it to me. Think about this concept this morning for the next few minutes. You did it to me. Now, it was interesting in Bible class because Dane said something in Bible class, which is absolutely where I'm going with this lesson. As we were talking about parenting and children and how children sometimes will rebel against their parents when their parents are teaching them the word of God. And I love the comment that Brother Dane made. He said, you're not rebelling against me, but against God. And that's the idea. You are doing this against me. You are doing this to me, God says. And Dan mentioned um, the, the, the appointment of King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel went to God and he said, God, they have rejected me. Your people have rejected me. And God said, no, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. You did it to me. This is what they are doing against me. And when we understand this idea of the deeds that we do for good and how Jesus says, yeah, you're doing these things for me and things that we may be doing that are wrong and God says, no, you're doing this to me. This should change how we view sin, how we can overcome sin. That's our theme, freed from sin, servants to God. And how we can be even more pleasing to God. So what areas, what other areas of our lives and in the word of God do we see this idea of you did it to me? Well, one important passage, it's not on the slide, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, turn over there here because Paul was writing to this church that was excelling still more. This congregation was doing great things. I've already preached a couple of sermons from this uh, from this letter here to this congregation. I, I just want you to notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul's going to talk about sexual immorality, how they control their vessels, how they control their bodies. They need to possess their own vessels and sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. Notice as he gave instructions and commandments to the people of God here, he said in verse 8, watch what he says. So, He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You see that? He said, no, if you reject these words, you are rejecting God. It's this idea of, no, you're doing this to me, God says. So Paul is this messenger who is inspired by God, who is talking to this church. And if they reject his words, he said, no, in reality, you're actually rejecting God. And I think that's a great passage as we begin to study the word of God. As we study this morning, maybe you will be challenged by some of the things that we will read. 
But don't reject these words because of me or whoever else may be sharing these words with you. These are the very words of God. And if we reject these words, we're rejecting God himself. So what areas of our lives might we need to think about this idea of you did it to me? There are four thoughts, and I'm sure there are more that I could share, but I want to begin with this, number one. When it comes to sin, we need to think about this, where God or in Christ are saying, no, you did this to me. And one of the best examples, and I think this will help us to overcome sin, is in Psalm 51. Will you turn over there? In Psalm 51, we're going to look at the first four verses here. And if you have the superscriptions in your Bible, in Psalm 51, while those are not inspired words, they give us some indication about who the writer was and what was taking place in this psalm. And in my Bible, the superscription says a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So David is writing this after he has committed sin, after he has committed adultery, after he has taken the life of an innocent man, Uriah. And verse number one, notice what David says here. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Notice the words of David. Against you You only I have sinned. Now we know David sinned against Uriah. We know David sinned against Bathsheba. But notice the intensity and the recognition and acknowledgement of David with his relationship with God. He understood that he transgressed and sinned against God. God said, no, you did this to me, David. And David now understands, yes, God, I sinned against you. And that's what he emphasizes when we get over to 2 Samuel. Turn over there, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. When he is confronted by the prophet Nathan, David understands and will understand or comes to this understanding that, no, this sin that I committed, I did it against God. You did it to me. Nathan said, verse 7 to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who who anointed you king over Israel. And it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Notice how God is saying, I gave you all these things. I'm the one that has blessed you. Now watch what he says next. Why have you despised the word of the Lord, verse 9, by doing evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite. So we know he sinned against Uriah with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Verse 11. Actually, verse number 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, David understood that he had sinned against God. And this is emphasized. Go back to verse 10. I don't want to skip this verse. He said, now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have 
despised me. God is making it clear. No, David, you sinned against me. What's the big deal about this? Well, the big deal is understanding that sin, that we're, we're doing this against God. That God sees this. And God is saying, David, you sinned against me, your actions. Too many times do we focus too much on whether or not we're going to get caught or what might happen to our reputation or what might happen if our spouse or our children or someone at our job may find out about this or someone at the congregation. But too many times we leave God out of the equation. And God told David, you did this to me. After all the things I gave you, David, like what we just read in Psalm 103, all the benefits. And David, you despised me. It was personal with God. It's personal even with us, with God. We have a relationship, this fellowship with God. So when we understand this idea of sin with respect to sin, when we sin, God is saying, no, you did this to me. And that should change how we view God. That should change how we view sin to the point where Jesus told the woman in John chapter 8, who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Why? Because when we sin, when we go down this path, when we say yes to that temptation, we're doing it against God. And do we think about that enough? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. And so we need to view sin differently. And understanding that God is saying, you did this to me or you are doing this to me should help us to stop, to overcome by his strength and by his grace. Because we understand, no, he is God. And I do not want to sin against him. And first John chapter three, as John reminded the saints about their advocate in heaven and that if anyone does sin in chapter two, he said, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He also reminds them of the attitude, the disposition that Christians should have when it comes to sin. And I think this whole idea of we're doing this against God, you did it to me, should should connect with all of this. And verse number 9, John the Apostle said, No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him. Because we have this fellowship with God, and the language that he uses next is powerful, and he cannot sin. He's not saying that it's impossible for us to sin. Because in chapter 2, he said, if you do sin, you have an advocate with God in heaven. But this idea of he cannot sin because he is born of God. It's this idea of that, no, I can't do this in sense of character. This is not who I am. I can't do this and I will not do this. To me, that changes how we can overcome temptation. Does that help you? When we understand who we are in Christ... And the mindset that we're supposed to have, that sin and how it affects God, how he hates sin, how he told David, you despised me, David. This idea, this attitude should change and should help us to overcome sin. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. That's not who I am. 
And I don't want to sin against my God. Because if I do sin, I'm doing it against him. And I know this is possible for us to do this. I know we can be victorious in Jesus Christ. Because there's an example of a young man on his own. And many other men twice his age in his situation would not have done what this man did. And I'm talking about Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. Will you turn over there? You see, Joseph helps us to see that it is possible to say no to sin. One can be tempted, and whether or not he was truly tempted, he was offered something. But whether or not it was really a temptation for him, he said no. And it's possible for us this morning, brothers and sisters, we don't have to live a life where we feel like we're always defeated. No, we're victorious in Christ, and we can say no to sin. I can't do it. Because I've been redeemed. And if I do it, then I'm doing it against God. Joseph in Egypt in a foreign land was blessed by God. And his, his, his master, Potiphar, put everything in his sight. And verse 6, he was handsome. He was handsome in form and in appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife, verse 7, looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, now notice his explanation. Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he has put all that he owns in my charge. So he's thinking about his master. That's the right thing to do. David wasn't thinking about Uriah. But Joseph was thinking about his master. There is no one greater in his house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Interesting how they understood what husband and wife were back then, even in the days of Egypt, right? How then could I do this great evil? So he knew there's a standard to follow. You are this man's wife. If I sleep with you, that's wrong. That's evil. And notice what else he said. He wasn't just thinking about Potiphar and her. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? There it is. He understood this idea of, no, if I do this, I'm doing this against God. You are going to do this to me, God says. Joseph says, I want nothing to do with it. You see how big of an impact that should have with when we are tempted? We need to start thinking like this. Well, if I go down this path... Who is it going to hurt? It may hurt me. It will hurt me and others for sure. But most importantly, first and foremost, I don't want to do this against God. Because that's what happens when we do sin. This should help us to overcome sin, to view sin, to stay away from it, and to truly repent the way that God expects us to. And the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 Verses 9 and 10, some of them understood this. Some of them needed to repent. Some of them were in the wrong, and Paul had to correct them. And it brought about sorrow on their part. But that sorrow led to godly repentance as opposed to worldly sorrow, which only leads to death. In Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 9, he said, I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in any through us for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation but the sorrow of the world produces death you see they understood that their sin they had sinned against God 
And certainly they were concerned about this idea, this fact that they had gone against God. They had transgressed against the true and living God. One can be sorrowful that they've gotten caught. One can be sorrowful that they've lost their money or their position. But are we sorrowful because we have sinned against God? Because we have done it to him? That's where change really is going to begin. And where repentance will really bear much fruit. Because I don't want to continue to hurt him. When we understand that, no, God sees what I am doing. And I have sinned against him, as David said. And I cannot sin against him, as Joseph said. That is a game changer. The question for you and for me this morning is, do we view sin this way? Do we view repentance this way? Not just mere words, but a change of heart. And that sorrow of understanding I've sinned against the true and living God. That changes everything. You did it to me. Understanding that will help us to overcome sin. We need to think about this with respect to sin. But there's another area in which we need to think about this as well. And that is when it comes to suffering. I find it interesting in Acts chapter 9. When you turn over there in Acts chapter 9. We find the conversion of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. And Jesus is going to speak to Paul. Before Paul was converted, Paul was on a mission. And in verse number 1 it says, Saul, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, those who were Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I find that interesting because where is Jesus? Where is he in Acts chapter (laughs) 9? He's in heaven. So how was Paul persecuting Jesus? To the extent... Of how he was treating God's people. You see this idea? Jesus is saying, Paul, you have persecuted me. You are doing this to me. And I think that's such a powerful thought that this is going to wake Paul up. Who are you, Lord? This this conversation that he's having on the way to Damascus. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus made it very clear to Paul, Paul, you are persecuting me. And we know the rest of the story, that Paul is going to be converted and that he's no longer going to persecute those who are of the way, but now proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with respect to this idea of suffering, there were Christians who were suffering for the cause of Christ. Now, what does this have to do with us? We're not persecuting anyone like Paul was. We're not harming other Christians. We are Christians. Well, think about it from the Christian standpoint. They were suffering for who? For Christ. They were suffering for the sake of Christ. They were doing that for him. 
And Jesus could say, no, you guys are doing this for me. And we actually see this idea. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. They had the attitude of, we are doing this for you, Lord. We're doing this for you. Even though others are physically abusing us, we know that they're going against you like Paul was, that they are persecuting you. But we are willing to do this for your sake, for your name, for your glory. They took his advice, Acts 5 verse 40. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. How could they do all of this? Why did they do all of this? They did it for him. They suffered for him. Those who were persecuting him, Jesus said, persecuting them, Jesus said, you're persecuting me. And yet these Christians were willing to go through that persecution for the sake of Christ. Paul, in his letter, go back to 2 Corinthians. We've been studying this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, how was Paul able to endure his ministry? We have spoken a great deal about the fact that Paul was focused upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of God, And he also understood that everything he was going through was for the sake of Christ. It wasn't about him. And I think that's important for all of us this morning, that we will suffer as Christians. As we suffer as Christians, it's not about us. Like Paul was persecuting the saints, Jesus said, no, you're doing this to me, Paul. And the same happens with us. When people oppose us and the message that we are proclaiming, they're ultimately opposing God. And understanding that should help us with how we handle this suffering that we are willing to suffer because we want to do it for him. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 5, Paul said, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. In verse 11, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I am suffering for the cause of Christ, Paul says. I'm doing it for him. That should be the mindset that we have when we find ourselves being persecuted by others. For the cause of Christ. And this will help us with our response in moments of suffering, in moments of retaliation, in moments of opposition, because it's not about us, it's about Christ and who He is. And as a result of that, we will respond the right way, the godly way. In Romans chapter 12, remind, remember what Paul told the saints in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse number 14. Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Paul said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Why do we do that? That's not what the world does. It's not what the world teaches. The world teaches, you hurt me, I hurt you back. That's what the world teaches. Well, we do it for the sake of Christ. We do it because we're suffering for his sake. It's not about us. It's not about me or you. We're doing it for him. In verse 17, Paul said, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. 
but leave room for the wrath of God. These are not optional verses here. Paul didn't take his own revenge. Peter and John didn't take their own revenge. And Paul says, you don't take your own revenge either, but leave room for the wrath of God. God will sort and handle everything out. Why are we suffering or why are we willing to suffer? Because we're doing it for him. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the proper way to respond. When people persecute us, ultimately, as Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? They're opposing God. And so we handle this persecution and the suffering the right way. In fact, Jesus said the same thing. Paul is actually, I think, just taking the words of Jesus here in Romans chapter 12. Remember in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say with respect to enemies? How do we respond as the people of God? You have heard that it was said, Matthew 5, verse number 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's not what we see on the news, is it? That's not what we see politicians advocating, is it? Some what we see happening at school sometimes. No. And sadly, even in churches sometimes that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen sometimes even among the people of God. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. That's how we respond. You did it to me. Paul was persecuting Jesus as he was persecuting the church. He said, no, essentially you're doing this to me, Paul. And as we go through moments of persecution, we need to have that in mind. And we need to know how we respond. That it's not about me or you, it's about Christ and his sake and his cause. And when we respond the right way, we'll be blessed. You did it to me. We can think about this idea with respect to sin, with respect to suffering, and maybe in another way that we don't often talk about as much as we should. I've done a couple of lessons on this, but I just want to briefly talk about this point here, this idea of you did it to me with respect to work, all right? How we view our work, the work that we do, the labor that we do, there is this idea of what we do, we are doing it for God, And this is not just for young people, but this is for all of us. And one of the biggest passages where we see this is in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul, he was actually in the context talking to slaves and masters in Colossians chapter 3. And he is reminding them about their place, about who is above all, which is God. He is the judge of all. He is the master in heaven, as he will talk about in chapter 4. But he would also remind the saints in Colossians 3 and verse number 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And the Bible has talked so much about work from the very beginning. God created work in the beginning. 
Work has always been a good thing. Work should bring about great enjoyment for us. Work should bring about satisfaction in our lives. Ephesians 4 tells us that the money that we make, we should use that to support our families in Ephesians 4 and 1 Timothy chapter 5 and help those who are needy. The work that we have, the work that God has blessed us with, it allows us to help uh, support the local church. And yet work should not become something that just takes over our entire lives. There's that other side of it. We can work so much that we neglect our families. We neglect our marriages. And then sometimes people just have the wrong view and perspective about work, where some people are just kind of lazy. Well, the Bible helps us to see, no, as you work, you do it to me. You're working as if you are doing it to me. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than from men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And so this idea of you did it to me is not just with respect to temptation and sin or suffering. But even the kind of work and the kind of mentality and the kind of attitude that we'll have tomorrow. Or maybe even later on today when we get back to the job. This changes every aspect of our lives. That what we do, God is saying, no, you're doing it to me. And if we understand this, this will change how we work, how we utilize the money that we make, whether we are good stewards or not. You're doing it to me. Is that the mentality that we have when it comes to our jobs? Are we working as if God sees the labor that we're doing? Are we stealing from the job? We're not putting in our best effort. Jesus says, you do it. Paul says, you do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. And if we'd have that kind of mentality, that will change, I think, even opportunities that we have to influence people around us in the workplace. People will see a difference in us and how we conduct ourselves. Because we're conducting ourselves not based upon our boss or some other standard, but upon God. God is the one who has blessed me with this job. And God is the one who sees what I'm doing. I'm going to work in the manner that's going to be pleasing to him. Can I give you one more example of this idea of you did it to me and how it should change our mindset, our lives, our character? Look at the last one here. When it comes to, when it comes to our worship, God says, you're doing it to me. Now, we all understand this, but do we continue to remember this when we come in here each first day of the week? You do you are doing this to me. There is a problem in the evangelical world and Christianity, however you ever want to describe it. I was talking to a gentleman from the community. He goes to this um, so-called megachurch. Anytime you hear megachurch, it's like, you know, red flag. Churches should not be after this status of like a megachurch, Okay. Churches should be after being the pillar and support of the truth. First Timothy chapter three. But this, this gentleman told me of this church he's been going to, and I can only go off of what he said. And maybe, you know, some may say, well, what, is that true or not? But, you know, he, he just shared with me some of the things that are taking place in this big mega church that he was attending. And he was just saying, it just, it all, it's all a show. It's all a show. Well, those are his thoughts. But I think if we're being honest, we've seen a lot of that at times. 
where it's hard to distinguish, is this worship service or is this a concert? And is the preacher trying to promote himself or is he actually proclaiming the gospel? When it comes to our worship, who do we do this for? God says, you do it to me. This is for me. And so the question for all of us this morning, has our worship this morning been for God? And if it has been for God, is he pleased with our worship? I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for me. But the worship that we give to God, we're doing it for him. In our singing, and I'll just focus on this real quickly here in Colossians 3 and verse number 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We do it for him. We sing and praise him with thankfulness in our hearts. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 19, Paul is going to say something very similar here as well. You look at verse number 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And by the way, those who may be wondering, this is why there is no piano up here. We only got two chairs up here, all right? We don't have any guitars. We don't have any drum sets. Not that we don't have talent here for people who could play those, but because we don't have Bible authority for those. But what we do have authority for is what we have done this morning, where we have sung psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing. That's our music. And making melody with your heart to who? To the Lord. You see, our worship, we do it. For him. It's about him. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15, we see the same idea as well. Look over in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15. Hebrews 13 and verse number 15. The Hebrew writer says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks To his name. You did it to me, God says. Your worship is to me, God says. Your singing is to me. Now, yes, we get benefit from it, right? Because we're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, yes, there is a benefit for one another. We teach and we admonish one another. And yet, ultimately, it is for God. And so we need to think about this when it comes to our worship, that we don't do it for, for, for just for show. We don't do it to, for entertainment. We're bowing before the God of heaven, Yahweh, who created us, who created all things by speaking things into existence. And I know my preaching is not going to satisfy every single person at this congregation or every visitor. The sermon may be too long or too short, too shallow or too deep. Not interesting, maybe, I don't know if it can be too interesting, but you're never going to hit the perfect or make the perfect sermon. But what I have to focus on is preaching the Word of God and preaching it for God 
and doing my best, working hard, Colossians 3.23. And as an audience, you have to be like the, the Jews in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra, who were attentive to God's word and who were focused. We have to train ourselves when it comes to worship and grow in our attention span. We have plenty of attention span for everything else. We just need to grow it more for worship and understand the worth of the one that we worship. And that will change everything when we know that we are doing it for him. And we have a great opportunity even tonight at 5 o'clock to learn more songs of praise to God. Brother Hugh is going to be leading us, correct? And I love this because we can gather together at 5 o'clock to learn and to grow. And to devote more time and how we can learn more songs to be pleasing to God. Because ultimately, we do it for Him. This week, today, we need to think about this idea. You did it to me. What will we do to God today? And what will God see in us today? Will we give him glory today in our actions? Will we continue to praise him? Will we grieve him today? Or will we be be pleasing to him? The choice is ours. You did it to me. And today we have an opportunity to do good, to serve, to worship, and to listen and to walk, to confess our sins and to repent of our sins as unto the Lord or to the Lord. How are we going to respond? Let's be sure that in everything we do, we're doing it for him. Maybe there's someone here this morning who was not saved. We'd love to study the word of God with you. If you are interested in spiritual things, Maybe even have questions about the Word of God. We want you to know that Jesus loves you very much. And He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be saved from your sins. And Jesus died on the cross for us. That's what He did for us. And now it's up to us to whether or not we're going to respond and to submit ourselves to Him and baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are in the need or are looking for more motivation in your life, feel free to check out my website, benjaminlee.blog, where you can find hundreds of encouraging, motivational blog posts on a variety of subjects. You can find all of my books, which can also be found on amazon.com and other podcast interviews with a variety of people. I hope this helps. Please leave me a rating and a review. I can do, and so can you. Take care, and God bless.